The aftermath, the post-Super Bowl madness. The cleanup in Las Vegas begins right about now. Huh? How are we feeling? Basically, you know, 48 hours removed from Super Bowl 58. Deemed a success, no doubt about it. We will dive into that today and put a final bow and wrapping on that. Our guest list today includes our quarterback, Steve Berline. He will join us, CBS Sports. And we'll get his uh, take on the activities on the field and off the field for Super Bowl 58. Jake Cornegay will join us as the record betting handle numbers, as predicted here, came to fruition. And we will get Jake Cornegay's thoughts on that. We'll dive into that uh, today. The uh, Super Bowl betting numbers, the winners, losers at the sportsbook. And uh, sportsbook directors feeling pretty darn good as we knew they would. Not just because of the record handle, but a uh, nice little margin of victory uh, for the books uh, as well, too. Maybe not as great as in years past, but when you take that kind of handle, uh, that is pretty darn amazing. All right, so we've got that going on today. And uh, give you a little different flavor. He's been on the show with us here before. Beer Man Bruce, kind of a Las Vegas legend when it comes to slinging beers. Uh, he is going to join us. He'll be in studio with us. And uh, Beer Man Bruce uh, works uh, Raider games, VGK games. He's basically any Vegas anything, sports. Any. Or, or concerts. Or even concerts. Yeah. 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 In events. And he got a lot of hype leading up to this because I, I saw uh, Kevin and the guys over at uh, Fox 5 do a story on him last week. So I told him going back oh, about a couple weeks ago, I said, okay, I'm going to have you on after the Super Bowl. So I'm sure he's going to limp in here because he probably put uh, you know 18,000 steps in on Sunday. I wonder if he records how many steps he gets every... every... That, that, I mean, that would be insane. Yeah, I'd like to know that. I, 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 he doesn't come across to me as a, a step counter type of guy. Although in the Fox thing, they did say he or he he said he has the greatest thighs in all of Las Vegas. Well, that's you know, I'm glad you think so on that. I I didn't say uh, <laughs> that's what he said. It I didn't say that. All right, so we'll get a uh, beer man's perspective of working the Super Bowl. How many beers were sold that he slung? If the voice is uh, still there, because of course uh, you know he is a guy that uh, loves yelling out beer nuts, whatever else. I'll let him do that. It's beer, water, nuts. Beer, water, nuts. Why not? Why not soda? Why water? Because he's trying to protect like the kids. Because it's, uh, it's the beer is for the adults. That's true. The kids get the water. That's true. And nuts are just and for I, everybody. And I, and I could see a, a water, you know, being. But you know, beer is beer. You, you don't mix and mix and match there. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't see any water, you know, on the cart there. In the trough or whatever. I he, see beer. No, he always has water. 
Beer and water? Beer and water. Okay. I got to ask him about that. There's no nuts in there. Some places he has nuts. <laughs> like if you go to... But maybe he's just doing, it, doing nuts or beers and, beer and nuts together. Is that what you're thinking? Beer and water, maybe they make you nuts. I think, I I think he just likes to say all those three things. He does. That's what I think. That's what it's all about. All right. So we've got plenty to hit on with that today, and we recap uh, the Super Bowl success. All right. So, uh, you know, the breaking news coming out today that uh, the Super Bowl in Las Vegas was a success. All right. And it was historic for many reasons. All right. It was the first Super Bowl here in Las Vegas, as we well know. It was also the longest Super Bowl game as far as time. Now, I don't know how much of that had to do with the elongated breaks that I was bitching and moaning about yesterday, how long these breaks were, uh, because it was a four-hour-plus ordeal when it was all said and done, including the halftime show that was supposed to be 29 minutes that went to like 37. You said, yeah, I was going to say, you said yeah, 37 yeah. yesterday. Now, that doesn't mean Usher performed for that. He performed for his 15, which, yeah. and I didn't time Usher. But I did time the national anthem, and I and I did tweet that out as the first wager. Been, so did did you notice? There that? was controversy on that. Okay, because there was two Braves in that. She just she she said Brave and then did it again, and that put it over. Yeah, put it over one thirty five. That, that second Brave yeah. put it over. Yeah, yeah. But it's first word, last word completed. I know. That's it. So you have to factor that in when you're setting the time, one thirty, and we're sitting there looking at it, timed it, first word, and like, oh man, she's winding it down. It's like a minute fifteen. Yep, it's going under. It's going under, and then all of a sudden, Reba McIntyre decided to just let the brave go on and on and on and on till the break it on. Till the break it on. Do you got Reba? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to hear the whole thing. I mean, I love our national anthem. You know that. I'm very patriotic. But, um, you know, the tail end of that because the clock is ticking. I know there were people in the press box going, oh, look at this. What, 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 127, 128, 129, over. And I'm sure there were degenerates that, that had the under and the over. It was a good pace, too. It was. Remember when we talked about this last week? I didn't think that she was going to drag it out. She had a good pace. Made sense for the under. Here we go. Oh, I should be standing right now. I want to hear the Nubchuck's double brave. Yeah, double break. Double break that's killed al- it. That's almost that's like... That's what killed it. That's almost like a DQ. Yeah. That should be a disqualification. Now, can you take that cut and let's... Can you rewind it to the part where you know where I want to go? Because I had a, a debate with a couple of my cohorts on the show on Friday. My handicapper extraordinaires, because as you know, Scott Spritzer and Marco D'Angelo tried to tell me that they were going to, you know, hear nights, you know in there. And I said, you're not going to hear it because it's national. Okay. This is a national worldwide audience there. You're not going to have Raider fans in the building. Golden Knights fans are not going to be in the building. Very, very minimum. And they thought that Reba McIntyre would be thrown off. She's not going to be thrown off because it's going to be irrelevant. So let's see if we can get to that part because 
I was there, and I didn't hear it at all, which I expected. I said, it's not going to happen. I said it, too. I said, we not weren't going to get not anything. Gonna get that. You're going to get the one or two locals. You're not going to get anybody. But here. There nothing, is. Nothing. Nothing. Thank you. Thank you. It just goes to show you how, how people get all wrapped up and they think that, oh, just because uh, an event is in Las Vegas that, you know, you're going to have that fraction of crowd. I, I mean, it does. It goes over. I've I've heard it in the basketball tournaments. I've heard it in. Different. Super Bowl's totally Exactly. Different. That's what I'm saying. Right. It's completely different. Yeah. You know, I've heard it everywhere. You, you're not going to get it at the Super Bowl. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it because those people have no clue that, you know, that they do that at night's games or they would do it at any other game here in Las Vegas. Yeah, because that's any, not the audience. Any other spot, if, if, if any other thing at T-Mobile has a night in it. hundred percent. We see it at Mandalay Bay. Yep. We see it at, at, at UNLV games. I mean, we'll we'll see it. And you know, those fan bases don't like it. But those are just the idiotic fans that, that do it. You know, again, I'm not one for, you know, screaming during the national anthem anyway. I mean, come on, let's be patriotic. And, but I just, I knew we weren't going to do that. And, you know, those guys were saying, Oh, no, it's going to happen. There's going to be some. I'm going, ah. no, it's a different audience. So and, now you yeah. were there. I was there. Was, oh. was there oh. a single, like, was there a single one that was just, None. Night. Nobody. I, I didn't. I, I didn't hear it. I didn't. But then again, you got to remember where I was up. I was You're up. up. I was up high, but you know, I really don't hear it. No, you, you don't. You really don't even hear it. You hear it at Raider games a little bit. Yeah. But you know, no. I just I knew we weren't going to hear it because the, that fan base is not local. Which brings me to my next point because you guys asked me this too about oh and you even said this about Raider jerseys. There was a bunch. I saw them. I, I, I saw virtually nil, virtually none in the grand scope of things with 70,000 people there. Hardly saw any Raider, Raider jerseys. I saw on TV a on couple. TV. A couple. In the stadium. In the stadium. Now, there were some people rolling around outside. There was a bunch. You know, I, there was a bunch, bunch outside. There was, I'm telling you, my friend, there wasn't a bunch. It was it was like bare minimum, hardly anything. It was nothing but red, and then yeah. you had some scattered, you know, a Giants jersey or this and that. You, you saw that people just but wear whatever they pr- yeah. predominantly. Predominantly, it was all red. It was Chiefs and Niners. Seriously, I mean, I I was looking for that. I go, where are the Raiders? Where are the Raiders? Not going to have Raiders here today because they can't afford the tickets. Number one, for the most part, and they don't want to be there. Well, the, it's not that the Raider fans can't afford it. It's just that re- this is. A worldwide celebrity corporate audience in the dire fan bases. Okay. Yeah. So each fan base gets like 20,000 tickets. Okay. And this and is the, the and, most anti Raider Super Bowl there was. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, so when each team that participates in the Super Bowl has their 20,000 tickets, their allotment, okay, that's to that fan base. They're not selling those. They're not doing anything with those except they're they're going, all right. And if they're selling them, they're probably going to sell them to fellow Chiefs or Niners fans. But again, it was it was red. And I even made that comment during the game. I said, "Hey, uh, we've seen this channel before, huh? We've seen where predominantly red is in the stadium when the Chiefs or the Niners uh, come to Allegiant Stadium. But yet, yeah, not many Raider fans. Uh, the Knights thing non-existent. So there you have it with that." 
All right. There is your Super Bowl report by uh, the oh, almighty no. doctor of T.C. Martin. No, I, I, I got sidetracked. Oh, okay. I got sidetracked. I don't, I don't know how I got into that, but that happens, as we know. But historic for many reasons. First in Las Vegas, longest game in Super Bowl history. The most watched television program in history. How about this? The game averaged 123 million viewers across television and streaming platforms shattered last year's mark of 115 million where Kansas City defeated the Philadelphia Eagles that was last year that was a 7% increase now on the CBS broadcast itself just CBS they averaged 120 million so now this goes to my point when we're talking about streaming we're talking about all this other nonsense with Amazon Prime this and that remember the numbers that we talked about yeah. with you know the Amazon with the playoff game with the Chiefs and the Dolphins, right? And those numbers were what they tried to claim were what twenty three million. All right, how does that compare to the hundred and twenty three million overall? CBS a hundred and twenty million watched it on CBS. That that shows you that only three million, only three million, in this grand scheme of thing, streamed it. So I don't want to hear about the streamings taking over and all this other nonsense. All right. Well, 3 million. That's it. Max of the 123 million. Watch it on regular TV. Hold on. No. Hold on. I'm just telling you what I got Hold here, on. my friend. Oh. From CBS and Paramount itself. Yes. Super Bowl is the most streamed Super Bowl in history led by a record-setting audience on Paramount Plus. Well, no, I get that. So it, it, it is now the all-time. I get that, but compare it, yeah. co- comparable to what? It, you you had nothing before. Okay, this so is, yeah. So you, so you had three million streamed, one hundred twenty watched. Last it on year's CBS. even streamed. I'm, huh? trying, I'm trying to think. Was last year's even streamed? I would think so. Yeah, because we've been in that day and age for the last three, four, five years. Yeah. So, but um, the CBS broadcasts. This is interesting. Do you know what the second highest CBS broadcast? I remember CBS and Fox and you know NBC. They alternate, but um, it surpassed the 2016 game of 112 million viewers. Denver and Carolina. Denver and Carolina in 2016. That was 120 wow. million. Right, Peyton Manning. It's the only reason. Cam Newton, Peyton Manning. Yeah, that was it. But still. I mean, not a, not a real good game and, you know, not, you know, major market teams that were involved in that. But again, yeah, so it's not like CBS broadcasts it every year. It's them and Fox in once in a while, you know, they'll throw in NBC, but for the most part, it's those two networks. All right. From a betting perspective. All right. We got the word today. The Nevada betting record handle was shattered. It was broken. Uh, here are the figures, $185.5 million, $185.5. And every year we talk about this, you know, it's so 160, 165, 167. Well, eclipse the 2022 mark by $6 million. All right. If you remember that, we had $179 million going back two years ago. All right. Yeah, last year was down a little bit. But uh, yes. Uh, one eighty-five point five million. Those are the dollars that were bet on the Super Bowl in the state of Nevada. All right, that's legalized sports betting. We're not talking about in in the other forty-two states. Okay, 
legalized sports betting just in Nevada, 182 sports books in the state, and the books won $6.8 million. They won 4.4 on last year's Super Bowl, and uh, the average win was 13.2 mil on the four previous Super Bowls dating back to 2019 through 2022. So record handle, 185.5 million overall. Eclipse the mark by 6 million from two years ago. And uh, our good friends, uh, Jay Cornegay, uh, Chuck Esposito, our guys at those respective sports books, uh, they're happy because the books won $6.8 million on the game. Not bad for a four-hour day. Pretty good, huh? Not at all. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I know fans don't like to hear sports book guys, oh, we got crushed in the Super Bowl. We lost. We said this going into it that they weren't going to get crushed because you had good two-way action. So just on the VIG, on the 10% on the juice, the sports books were going to to make good on that. And they probably actually needed the 49ers to really make a good killing because the public was all over the Kansas City Chiefs. We talked about that for two weeks. So even though the Chiefs won, they covered they covered on the money line. Books still did pretty well, you know. And, you know, the public did pretty well. The only guys that really lost money, the guys, obviously, the bet the Niners lost, but I heard there was uh, eight $1 million bets, at least $1 million bets. And they were pretty much split half and half with Niners and, uh, and Chiefs right there. So good day betting. Great football season, betting-wise, uh, for the books. So uh, I believe, yes, uh, their lights will stay will stay on. No threat about that. <laughs> All right. What day is it, by the way, Numbchuck? It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. All right. So let's talk a little Super Bowl from a terrible side. I want to pose the question today to our listeners. You could chime in if you want today via Twitter, via phone, 702-221-7283. And I'm going to ask Steve Berline this when he joins us here pretty soon. All right. Did the Chiefs win the game or did the Niners lose the game? Okay, we understand the nature of this question. Of course, the Chiefs won the game. Of course, the Niners lost the game. But if you're going to sign kudos, praise, or blame, do you say the Chiefs won the game? They deserve to win the game or did the Niners lose the game as they had control of this game and they blew it. What you say? What say you, Mr. Numchuck? Say what? I was trying to find something for you're you. Not, you're not paying attention to this. I show. wasn't trying to. Did the Chiefs win the game if we have to give credit to one side, or did the Niners lose the game? You the, understand my question. Right? The Niners lost the game 100%. And it's the reason that you are not going to say. It's overtime. That's 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 one of the factors. Okay, I don't think it's the main factor. The Niners lost this game for two reasons: because of the mistakes that they made. 
Okay, that's that's the main the mistakes they made on the field. The fumble. Okay. Fumble, muff punt, and miss PAT. Okay, those things. The Christian McCaffrey fumble cost them points. I know it was the first drive, but it cost them points. All right. The punt hits the defender in the foot. Ray Ray McLeod doesn't jump on it, tries to pick it up and run. Boom. The Chiefs scored their only touchdown in regulation after that muff punt. That's the only touchdown they scored in regulation, and it was a one-play drive. They scored on the very next play, 10-yard touchdown pass from Mahomes. There it was, and that was it. Everything else, field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, until you got to the overtime where the Chiefs got the touchdown in the OT, period. Yes, the Niners lost the game. We'll give all kinds of credit to the Chiefs, to Patrick Mahomes, because he rallied his team. Andy Reid's a great coach. Travis Kelsey, phenomenal. Even though, for the most part, Mahomes and Kelsey were non-existent in the first half. They come out of the second half. Mahomes throws the interception. 49ers get the ball at the Chiefs' 44-yard line and get what? Zero. The same thing that they got after the Christian McCaffrey fumble. All right? The Niners cost themselves the game. The Niners lost the game. Plain and simple. All right, And they have no one to blame but themselves. Now, if you want to go and you want to talk about Kyle Shanahan's decision not to do, to kick off in the second uh, in the overtime, I can I understand that. Okay? But as we talked about yesterday, you know, you take the ball, that's what you normally do in overtime periods, and you want to try to go down and you want to put the pressure on the opponent. All right? But there is a good fraction, a good fraction of that Kyle Shanahan did not know the rules. It seems crazy, but this has never came into play before. This rule came about in the 2022 offseason. No overtime games in the playoffs last year. No overtime games in the playoffs this season, right? So it never really came up. The Chiefs are saying they talked about it. And they prepped for it. They're going back to, you know, preseason. They've been, they were ready for this. The Niners players didn't even know the rules because probably Kyle Shanahan never addressed it. So, yeah, I'm sure Kyle Shanahan decided to take the ball because he thought, hey, we score a touchdown, we win because that's the previous rule and that's the way the rules are in the regular season. But yes, when, when you look at those things, Yes, the 49ers lost the game. They were in control of the game. If it wasn't for the turnovers, Niners probably win the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl madness in Las Vegas. All right. How much madness was there really? All right. So for a guy who was around the town a lot this past week, like a lot of us are, not just saying me, but you know, broadcast on Radio Row, at the Westgate, at the game going to a few different events, all right? We saw that Las Vegas did a fantastic job. But there's national media outside of Las Vegas that are pummeling our city for not being a good place to host a Super Bowl. We heard that nonsense years and years ago, and there are still some archaic people that still are out there stating this, all right? Saying that there was numerous problems from crime to chaos. There's a certain columnist. I don't even want to give this guy's name because he's a ham and egger. He's a New York Post columnist, like a lot of the New York Post columnists are. 
that this guy wrote an article and said, Las Vegas will have, again, proven to be a rotten choice of venue for some strange reason. Crime has a nasty habit of visiting Sin City. And that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Police files. He goes on to talk about Las Vegas Raiders, Daenerys Robinson being arrested for a DUI. And he uses the term the Vegas common crime time of 5.59 a.m. Okay. That's about the same time the NFL players, Alvin Kamara, and Chris Lehmans were arrested and charged with nearly stomping a man to death after they refused to allow him to share their elevator at a Las Vegas strip joint. Well, actually, it wasn't a strip joint. It was a nice. It was a nightclub. All right, on the strip. All right. Then, of course, there was uh, Vegas um, and the Pro Bowl, a Vegas strip joint, also where limitless NFL uh, problems with. Uh, Adam Pacman Jones and company did their worst, making it rain until gunshots paralyzed uh, a bouncer. Then, of course, he wants to go back and talk about the NBA All-Star game many, many moons ago, more than a decade ago. And then you have Marshawn Lynch arrested for suspicion of DUI when he was found at 7.30 in the morning, passed out in his sports car. That was years ago. Two of its tires destroyed and impacting a Las Vegas curb. And, of course... He's going to get the massive shot in at Vegas, referencing the Henry Ruggs fiasco that happened at 3.40 a.m. going back a year and a half ago. But here's the thing. These are cheap shots. This is journalistic garbage because those events had nothing to do with this Super Bowl. And most of these events were years and years ago. Did we hear about anything that happened to upset this Super Bowl. Anything. Even the two ham and egg streakers were out there for a total of four and a half seconds because they got mauled and no one even, you know, said anything. Did we have any major disasters during the week of the Super Bowl? No. Were there some people arrested? Of course. But are there people arrested just about every day in the city? Okay. Uh, every weekend? Of course. What I'm trying to say is it's so easy to take shots at Las Vegas or any city for malfeasance, for their stupidity, or, you know, but bottom line is what does this have to do with this Super Bowl? This Super Bowl literally had very little trouble. I told you, I I talked yesterday or over the weekend with people with NFL security, and they said, you know what? This, This is one of the cleanest security... Ventures and then as far as, uh, as far as timeliness and everything, the NFL did a fantastic job. Are we to say that New York City shouldn't have any events because of what happened on 9-11? No, it's ludicrous, right? All right. Or what happens in the streets in the Bronx or at Harlem after midnight? New York should not have any major sporting events, shouldn't have a Super Bowl. Come on, man. I mean it's stupid. This is ludicrous journalism. It's probably West Coast hate. It's Las Vegas hate. It's people or reporters being naive and making generalizations. Every city has crime. Every city has uh, that, that hosts big events are going to have some scammers or thieves that come to their city. All right? And scammers, thieves live in these cities. Get all that. But of all places, Las Vegas can handle it better than anybody. More cameras in the streets, more cameras in the venues, all right, 
more security, more police there. I witnessed an actual little robbery at the Super Bowl myself. I didn't talk about this yesterday. Didn't get a chance to talk to him. It was the prices, wasn't it? No, no, oh, no. Okay. There was a guy that got, it was Chiefs fans, and this was like at the at the end of the game as I was leaving over after, you know, probably a half hour after the game was over. And a guy stole somebody's jacket. And these Chiefs fans were trying to find the guy, and they and they spotted him. And this guy was just hammered, right? And they find him, they go after him, and they, you know, are going after him like they're going to, going to you know, take the guy out. Police were there within seconds, all right? And they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they got to the bottom of this. And these guys had a story that, hey, this guy stole, our, stole my jacket, this and that, blah, blah, that had witnesses. And the police... We're very cool and say, okay, wait, wait, we got to find out what's going on here. And then they, they looked at the guy, they looked in his pockets, found out that none of it were his belongings. It was the, the Chiefs fans who had uh, their jacket and some other items stolen. And they calmly arrested the guy and moved on. And nobody that maybe outside of, you know, 20, 30 feet away knew what was happening because it was handled very well and very professionally. But this was, this was what, what you have take place at any sporting event. But no, there were no bomb scares. There there, there was nothing disastrous that, that happened here. For the most part, Vegas pulled it off. They did a fantastic job. So for national journalists who have nothing to do with the city, probably weren't even here to begin with at any point in time during the course of the Super Bowl week, you know, saying these things, bad place to have a Super Bowl, you know, Vegas, Sin City. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, it's, that's all marketing. But if you don't have the facts to back it up, you know, wrap it up. All right. How about some more stupidity? You want some more stu- stupidity here? Uh, a statue of Jackie Robinson was stolen in Wichita, Kansas. McAdams Park is a home of League 42. It's a youth baseball league for about 600 children and players. There is a statue that was erected in 2021 in Wichita, Kansas, of Jackie Robinson. Some idiots decided that they wanted to steal the bronze statue. They cut this up with, I don't know what, what they did, how they cut it up. Chainsaws, something, who knows what. But they cut it all the way down to the ankles, only leaving the bronze replicas of Robinson's cleats behind uh, the pedestal. Surveillance cameras showed there were at least three individuals that were there that were that uh, that took the statue, and uh, we know that it was taken somewhere where the other individuals were present. Now, on January 28th, police recovered a vehicle believed to be connected to this case in an apartment complex in Wichita. Two days after that, fire crews found burned remnants of the statue while responding to a trash can fire at another park about seven miles away. An arrest has been made. Uh, A 45-year-old man was arrested and charged with felony theft, value over $25,000, aggravated criminal damage to property, identity theft, and making false information. Uh, The statue was valued at $75,000. Now, the investigation has not revealed any evidence indicating that this was a hate crime, but uh, Wichita police are looking at this. They believe the theft was motivated by financial gain, that these idiots were there just to scrap 
the metal and sell it. Kind of like, you know, jacking cars and doing that, that same thing. Why are you taking a statue of Jackie Robinson? It, it just makes no sense. I mean, this is just stupidity as fine. And I know you, you can't explain rhyme or reason why people do stuff like that. But it, it's just downright terrible. It's atrocious. It's awful. And when you have stuff like that happen, just it's it's sickening, especially in you know, in Jackie Robinson really has nothing to do with Wichita. He really doesn't. But you know, again, Negro Leagues, Kansas City Monarchs, okay, relatively close, that sort of thing, paying homage. And this guy made this statue, this value at seventy five thousand dollars. Took him a long time to do this, and uh, now it's it's stolen and cut up to shreds and hawked away for some money. So just uh, a, a terrible, terrible story. All right, but we come back. Steve Berline is going to join us. We talk about what happened on the field, off the field in Super Bowl Fifty Eight. The TC Martin Show is back. Yes, yes. What are you doing? It's just a halftime. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes, in the face. The doctor is now in. in, in. California. <laughs> All right, putting a final bow and wrap on Super Bowl 58 here in Las Vegas. We'll continue to talk about that today. Next hour, Jay Cornegay is going to join us. We'll uh, talk about the record betting handle there. All right. Beer Man Bruce, he's going to join us. We're slinging those beers and everything at Allegiant Stadium. All right, we'll get uh, his take on that. See how good he's walking today. But uh, let's go to the quarterback uh, who was actually here in Las Vegas last week, uh, wrapping up uh, his final episode of the NFL Monday quarterback on CBS. He was hanging around the fountains there. And, of course, he got some, uh, himself uh, some, some very good chicken, which I had last night, by the way. I was, I was a week late because I couldn't meet him here last week because I was uh, coming back from Sacktown. But the one and only Steve Berline, he joins us now as we recap Super Bowl 58. What is going on, QB? Hey, hey, what's happening, man? Man, it's good. Hey, I just, uh, I'm feeling good, man. I got, I got my, I got my chicken. Uh, took another one yeah. of my former NFL buddies there last night for the very first time. And just like you, another satisfied customer. I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just inviting everybody to, to try our chicken, well. man. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm sure Blue Ribbon appreciates you oh, yes. uh, spread, spreading the word like this. And I know, I know how they take care of you. Johnny over there and the other, the gang, mm-hmm. they do a great job. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the word needs to continue to get out, though, for mm-hmm. sure, because it's, it's pretty unique. Pretty cool. So, so now, did you do that on uh, a, a Sunday, or was that on the Monday for you to to, to wrap up uh, your trip? And and did you go with just the one bucket of wings, or did you indulge in two? Well, I what I did, I as soon as we finished the show at Bellagio, mm-hmm. uh, you know how close it is, right there. Yeah. I just walked right over. I said, "I'm I'm feeling like some chicken right now," <laughs> and. Uh, that was Monday afternoon. Uh, prob- the show went from three to five uh, Vegas time, so I was over there by five thirty. Beautiful. Um, made some new friends. I was only by myself, but wow. I-, I-, I couldn't care less. I was there. Well, you could you, you know, could take any of your uh, your NFL quarterback buddies. What's the deal with that? You know, they all had to go back to the hotel and get you know get primped up and uh. get changed and get. I'm like. Hey, it's right here. Let's just head over right now. Uh, but you know, some of these guys, uh, 
I'm joking, obviously, you know, taking a shot. Yeah. Trent Green and Matt Ryan, they were on the show with me. Uh, Boomer Esiason, who, as you know, uh, uh, loves taking every opportunity to talk that he possibly can. He booked <laughs> as much stuff into his schedule as he possibly could. So he did not have any spare time at all. But, um, you know, they, 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 I don't think they were, it's, it's one of those things where, until you take that first bite, yeah. you don't really know. You know. Someone just says, oh, yeah, it's great pizza or it's great, right. you know, whatever. You know, this chicken is unbelievable. Okay, yeah, whatever. I've had good chicken before. Um, so until you get them over there to have that first bite, they don't really appreciate it. So uh, I was totally fine just heading over there by myself. I made a bunch of friends, and I sold uh, a, another a couple that was sitting at the bar right next to me uh, I even gave him my last piece of my last of my only bucket. I said, "I'm telling you, you got to try this chicken," and they I, they couldn't believe that I actually offered it to them. That and was I it. said, it, it, "Here you go, try it," and it, it immediately they ordered a bucket for themselves. So, um, you know, I, I got I have absolutely no problem going over there and enjoying myself uh, by myself or with friends. I'm I'm not I have no I have no no problems going over there by myself. And, and I do that a lot. I do that a lot myself. And when I get done, well, especially you, on the you Friday. Probably go, yeah. You probably go most places by yourself, though. Uh, yeah, but, you know, 50-50, I know that was, a, that was a shot at me. But, then, you know, then again, you know, I mean, certain people, Steve, as you know, they, they can't hang with this lifestyle. You know, they can't, they can't yeah. hang going out all the time, you know. But uh, you're, you're right. Yeah, but no. You're, you're I took one of my good friends, and it's probably before your time. You may not uh, you know, uh, know him, remember him, but former 49er, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, and U.S. Olympian uh, James Owens, uh, Sacramento Sports Hall of Famer. He w- he was in town, and he's been hearing me talk about the uh, the chicken at Blue Ribbon. So he got to experience it last night, and he cracked me up because I thought that you know, you attacked that chicken, you know, in in grand fashion. You know, he took it down to the bone. He took every piece down to the bone and we ordered, we ordered two, two buckets. So I got like my yeah. own and his own and I did what you did. I gave him my last piece. So he had six plus one and those, that, that chicken was destroyed because I mean, they, he, down to the leg, down to the wing, down to the bone, there was nothing left. He loved it. And I guarantee, I guarantee you, uh, when he realized that he was done, but that the first time he experienced, he probably was very sad. He was like, <laughs> I mean, I know I was. I was like, that's it. I got no more. That's it. We're out. <laughs> it, that's awesome. It's, uh, it's that good. It's that good. All right. This so, segment brought anyway. to you by Steve Berline. There you go. Yeah. Uh, on, yeah. For Blue Ribbon Chicken of the Cosmopol. That's it. I'm, I'm sending them this. That's it. They they got to give us an endorsement deal. That's it. That's no it. doubt. They have to. That's they it. Have to. That's it. <laughs> All right, man. So, how was uh, the the rest of your your Vegas trip? I know it was it was it was kind of quick. Did you uh, get caught in any of the madness? And let me throw this at you: You've been to a lot of Super Bowls, whether it's player or as a broadcaster or just you know post player career, you know parties, whatever it is. How did you feel the Vegas experience was? I know you weren't here for game day, but just you know leading up to it compared to the other sites you've been. Well, you know, uh, first off, everybody knew it was going to be a fantastic venue. I mean, uh, any anybody knows anything about Vegas and Super Bowls and the NFL, they, they knew it was going to be an incredible marriage. And 
I don't think it disappointed from what I heard. I, I actually did come back. Uh, I had a, a dinner that came up, a business dinner that came up Thursday night, followed by a golf outing at Paiute on Friday morning. So I did come out, but it was literally, it wasn't even, I wasn't even there 24 hours, but you could really feel the buzz picking up uh, Thursday night. And then as I was getting out of town uh, after the golf on Friday, I was happy to be getting out because I did not want to get caught up in um, all of that, you know, chaos that was to ensue, I'm sure. But, but I have zero doubt in the people that I've talked to that were there uh, said it was just absolutely spectacular. So um, Vegas will be hosting many, many more. I'm sure they'll be in the regular rotation, you know, from now until uh, the end of time. No doubt. Steve Berline joins us, the quarterback, NFL Monday quarterback on CBS Sports Network. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, I want you to grade the quarterback performance. Now, obviously, you know, Patrick Mahomes won another Super Bowl, number three for him. He's in some pretty elite company when you think of what he has done. All right, but we, and uh, let me throw this at you. Uh, this is an interesting stat here. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, three championships, two MVPs in seven seasons. He is now in the company with Larry Bird, Bill Russell, Guy Lafleur, Stan Musial, Mickey Mantle, and Joe DiMaggio. How's that for a resume? You know, I recognize a few of those names. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nah, he, he, you know, it just continues to validate him, not that he needed it uh, at all, uh, because if his career were to end with no more Super Bowls, uh, he'd still be regarded as, you know, one of, um, you know, one of the greatest of his time, probably the greatest of, of this generation. Um uh, and we all know there's still more to come. So, um, you know, barring, you know, some unforeseen setback or a decision to cut his career short, there's going to be a lot more of these conversations to be had. And, uh, um, you know, you just can't say enough about him. I really thought that the 49ers did a great job containing him in that first half. Uh, every time he tried to, extend plays and get out of the pocket. They did a really good job. Bosa and Chase Young and the rest of those, you know, Fred Warner, the rest of those 49er defensive players, they were there to minimize either, either get him for a loss or, or minimize the game to a very short two or three yards. And uh, they were doing a good job of plastering up with people down the field. There was no place for Mahomes to go, but, you know, shoot, lo and behold, um, he came out and put on that cape in the second half and uh, started doing what he does best when he had to do it. And those last few drives were just nothing short of, of spectacular. And you recall, I did say going into the game, I thought it was going to be a great game. I think the, uh, the difference is going to be Patrick Mahomes at the end of the game making the plays that, that he makes. I thought that was going to be the difference. And um, I think a lot of people probably felt that way. It's not just me, but – um, once again, uh, he, he did prove that theory and, uh, you can't say anything, but wow. I mean, he just continues to do it. Give me your assessment of Brock Purdy's performance. You know, I thought Brock played very well for, for his, uh, experience and, um, for the expectations 
Um, you know, I don't think he cost them that game at all. I think he uh, he played really well, um, especially for the first half. In the second half, whether it was the the, the play calling by Kyle Shanahan or lack of execution on the field, you know, they kind of got away from uh, what they were doing in the first half. Really, first half really involving Christian McCaffrey, you know, pounding the run up in there, throwing the play action, um, trying to keep, um, you know, Kansas City on their toes and um, on their heels, I guess, more would be better. But um, it just it didn't look the same for the first part of the second half. When they got back to feeding McCaffrey there late in the game on that, uh, you know, the, the overtime drive especially, uh, you could see you know, Kansas City really having trouble. They, they, they were able to get into their second half game plan. I really, I, we don't have time to really break it down, but you know, Steve Spagnuolo, if you study him, the defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, every game, uh, the second half of this season and through the playoffs, he had a whole separate package set up, whether it was a package or whether it was adjustments made for the second half of the game. He came out in each of those games, um, the second half of the season and the second half of each game, and just absolutely dominated. He had a, a blitz package uh, that the other team was not able to handle. He had uh, you know, just a, a, a tremendous feel for when to bring the pressure, when to sit back, uh, how to be in the right coverage at the right time. And I don't think anybody scored more than – uh, six or seven points in the second half of the games throughout the whole second half of the season and through the playoffs against them. So you got to give him credit. You know, Chris Jones, the defensive tackle up front, made big plays at big times. A lot of it doesn't show up in the stats. You know, getting in Brock Purdy's face on that, that pass that Debo Samuel was open for a touchdown. Um, you know, if it wasn't for Chris Jones, that would have been a touchdown. Um, so, you got to give a lot of credit to the Chiefs defensively for how they played in the second half. Um, I think Brock Purdy should be proud of how he played. I don't think he missed a lot of opportunities. Um, I just don't think that there were a lot of opportunities uh, down the stretch in that game. So, um, you know, I think he, he should be very proud. The Niners very easily could have won that game if it wasn't for Patrick Mahomes. All right, so I want to ask you this question here now. I want you to think about this, all right, before you answer it, because it's going to sound like a a very basic, generic question here. But did the Kansas City Chiefs win this game, or did the 49ers lose this game? You know, I, I, I see where you're going with this. I I... I think that, I think that you have to give the Chiefs credit. They won the game. I mean, sure. they did block that extra point. You can blame it on the kicker. You can do all kinds of. But the bottom line is that they did make it happen. And who knows whether that would have made a huge difference anyway? I mean, sure, the, the Chiefs only needed a score or a field goal to tie it and send it to overtime. But do you think that Patrick Mahomes, if he had to score a touchdown in that situation, would have been phased? I mean, I'd like to see it. Just, I'd like to see fourth down at, from the eight yard line or whatever. I like to I'm see with that. It. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Who knows if they would have been in that situation or not, uh, given the, the 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 stress of the game and given what was needed at the time. You know, Andy Reid knew a field goal was going to tie the game. Why risk something bad happening? Um, you know, he had the luxury of being able to 
sit back and not not force the issue. Um, if they had to score a touchdown, they were down four. Um, he would have had no choice. So he he might have been more aggressive earlier in that drive. Uh, who knows? There's no. We'll never know. But all I do know is that Patrick Mahomes seems to always step up when he has to, and uh, he did it again. So I'm not going to say the Niners blew it. You know, I, I would like. To, I think Kyle Shanahan would have done a few things differently in the second half, and that's that's who I feel worst about because Kyle is a good friend, and, and his dad Mike, as you know, is one of my best friends, and um, you know to have that game go like it did in the second half where it seemed like he got a little bit conservative or maybe Spagnuolo got uh, a little bit out in front of him as far as, you know, the game planning in the second half. And then, you know, when they had the chance to make the choice uh, in overtime, whether to get the ball first or second, I think most coaches knowing the, the playoff and Super Bowl overtime rules would definitely like to go second. Because then you, you, you know what you have to do. And um, um, I think that backfired on him because you settle for the field goal and you force the, uh, you know, the Chiefs to, to have to go for a couple of those fourth down situations. And they, of course, converted and, and uh, the rest is history. So I asked uh, your former teammate, uh, you know, Jay Schrader had both of you guys on last week when we were at Radio Row. I asked him this yesterday. I'm going to pose the same question to you. Do you factor in, if you're Kyle Shanahan, that you've got a youngster in Brock Purdy who's never been in this type of situation before, only basically in his second year, and that if you give Patrick Mahomes that ball that he's more likely going to go down and score, now you're putting pressure on this young quarterback that maybe that that moment is too big for him. Because remember, too, let's factor in the defense just got off the field after 11 plays, and now you're going to put them back on the field again. And then the drive before that that they were on the field for 13 plays, you factor any of that into maybe, okay, this is why Shanahan was going to say, okay, I'd, I'd rather have Brock Purdy in this predicament because it's less pressure. Just go down, get the touchdown. Let's put pressure on Kansas City because if Kansas City goes all the way down, then who knows? Maybe Purdy folds. Well, there's no way to measure that. I mean, uh, you know, your quarterback is your quarterback. And, and uh, you know, if Patrick Mahomes is going to make a lot of coaches look pretty good. And so are guys like Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. And, you know, those guys uh, have, have proven themselves to be able to step up in those moments. Brock Purdy, we don't know. But the bottom line is that, um, you know, you, you game plan for what you do have and what you what what your talent is on the field across the board. And the great offensive coaches play to the strength of what they have to work with. Uh, that you know, that, that's why Kyle Shanahan is is so highly regarded. The ways that he finds to get the ball to Debo Samuel, the way that he gets Christian McCaffrey involved in a run game and the pass game, George Kittle. You know, you talk about Ayuk and Jennings and, you know, creating those matchups. Uh, it seemed to me, and I think to a lot of people watching, that the second half, with that lead going into the second half, he got a little bit more conservative. And that's the only knock that I would ever make on, on Kyle Shanahan, that, that maybe he got a little bit defensive uh, as opposed to coming out in the second half saying, hey, this is the Super Bowl. We're going to let it all hang out. We're going to go after these guys and, and try to put them away because you know in a close game toward the end of the game 
if Mahomes has the ball, you're probably going to regret, uh, you know, that you didn't have a few more points on the board. So, um, you know, I, I, it goes into his thinking probably psychologically. If you got into his mind, yeah, probably that he had Brock Purdy and he was inexperienced. But, um, you know, all coaches have to go with the quarterback, obviously, that they have, and they make decisions based on that, that skill set and, and what they feel that quarterback can handle. Do you think there is a possibility that Kyle did not know what the overtime rules were, the new overtime rules? I'm not going to go there. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, that's why I say, that's why I say, Pod, I'm not asking you to speak for him, but just as you're watching that and then you hear what the 49er players were saying afterwards that they never yeah. went over that, it just, it does beg the question like, okay, maybe he didn't. You know, we don't know. And I'm sure he's not going to come out and say that, you know, but yeah. it just, it just, you, you just wonder, you know, the, it, could that be a possibility? You know, I, I again, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to speculate one way or the other. Yeah. Um, you know, I know him well enough, and, and obviously uh, he learned from one of the best, and I'm sure they've, they've always taken the approach of you've got to talk through every situation, every scenario. If we get a fourth, uh, fourth and goal, you know, with a, a chance to, you know, tie it inside the two-yard line, uh, to tie it with a field goal or to win it with, uh, you know, going for what are we going to do? Uh, if it's a two-point situation, what are we going to do in this situation? In regulation, are we going to play for overtime? We're going to play for the win. Um, you know, all those different scenarios are, are talked about throughout the course of the preparation. Um, you know, if you go into overtime, do we want the ball or do we not want the ball? I'm sure, I'm sure they had those conversations. And, um, you know, uh, maybe, it, you know, the, the, uh, the pros and cons of taking it or, or giving it away to the opposing team on that first possession. Maybe they didn't get deep enough talking about that. I don't know, but I would be extremely surprised if it was not discussed in some, some way, shape or form, you know, going into that game. Right. All right, my man, appreciate the time as always. Great job this season on NFL Monday quarterback and great job here. Of course, Appreciate you. Get back to Vegas, man, so we can uh, chill out and have some more chicken. All right, brother. Take it easy. Thank Thank you. you. There he is. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Steve Berline, one of the best, breaking it down post-Super Bowl 58. A little Tuesday afternoon. We got more for you. All right, Jay Cornegay is going to join us as we talk the betting, the record betting handle on Las Vegas' very first Super Bowl Right here on a Tuesday afternoon.